one year I kind of got an idea, you know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive way. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. The structure from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bobcat. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed. It's traffic today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. Great to have you. Brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-E-R-O-S.com. Cotsbrows have everything you need for the trap line, from traps and snares to a full selection of baits and lures, books, DVDs, all the other parts and supplies that you might need. Check them out at Cotsbrows.com. Also brought to you by OnX Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark the trap locations, run tracks, get landowner information, and scout the latest aerial imagery. OnX is an incredible app that you're going to use in a million different ways. Go to onxmaps.com and use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get 20% off your purchase. Onxmaps.com. And finally, oil, mink, and tannery. The professionals. Get your fur tan from the people who've been doing it for decades. They are the industry standard. They produce an incredible product. Beautiful, soft leather and uh, clean, shiny fur. They do such a great job. Moil.net, M-O-Y-L-E. You can preserve that fur for the long term whether you're going to sell it as tanned fur, whether you're going to hang it up on the wall and preserve those memories of some of the first animals that you caught, or whether you want to do something creative, maybe make some mitts or a hat or or something else from your fur. So go to moil.net, M-O-Y-L-E. They have an online customer portal where it's really easy to get your order placed and get it all ready for shipping, print off a label, and ship it off uh, to Moil over in Idaho. Um, you're gonna you're gonna love the product, man. They they do a really great job. So tonight's episode, today's episode, guys, um, lots of exciting stuff going on. But first off, um, a little update on the Trapping Today store. We have coffee mugs, the first product officially that has the new Trapping Today logo on it. So the mugs are available. I just put them up on the store yesterday. Um, they're 15 bucks. That's free shipping. And uh, they're, they're just your standard white 11-ounce ceramic coffee mug. They got the Trapping Today logo. Beautiful Martin with Trapping Today on there and a, and a trap. Uh, artwork courtesy of Philippe Willis from Our Numinous Nature. Uh, check them out, trappingtodaystore.com. And while you're there, check out the other stuff, the tan furs I have uh, on there for sale, as well as the new Manly Hardy book. Or some lure. Um, it's just sold out of the Birch River Beaver lure. 
and I got a little bit here at home, but I'm going to be using that here as soon as the ice goes out, and we got, uh, I'll probably do a little bit of spring beaver trapping and uh, using that lure, and I don't think I'm going to remake a batch here for this year. I think I will probably wait until closer to next season, but we'll see how that goes. And uh, also, you've, you've got all the other lure that is still in stock is available there on the site and other stuff like that. Also, um, another, I, we got Jeff Trainer on tonight, so that's going to be a really exciting episode. Uh, listening to Jeff again, we get into more detail on, um, on fur bear conservation, his website, and uh, different topics that, that him and I go back and forth on. So that's going to be a good one, but I just wanted to mention something that is, I'm going to try out. Sometime in the past year, I mentioned an idea that I had. And it was kind of a, a, one of those out there things that everybody who I mentioned it to maybe might have thought I was a little bit crazy or didn't understand how it would work. But I had a thought on, on a new way for people in general, or us particularly as trappers, I mean specifically that's what I was interested in, of uh, creating an a online community that was uh, superior to something like Facebook or your standard trapping, your standard message boards or chats. And the reason I got into this is because uh, ever since I started podcasting, it's been kind of a revelation to me how incredibly different it was as a mode of communication and how I was able to connect with people through audio more effectively than any other means. So with audio, you can express emotion you can uh, eliminate a lot of the ambiguity and the, the question marks around what your meaning is. You can explain things more thoroughly. And I think it's just overall, you know, the tone of your voice and the speed and, and tempo and everything else is just a, it's a better way of communicating to people what you, you really mean and what you want to say. And if you think of things like uh, trapping message boards and look at the a lot of the problems associated with those is guys arguing back and forth and people basically getting into pissing matches about uh, knowing more than the other. And There's a lot of, there's just a lot of potential conflict and I never really wanted to have that. That's why I have kind of shied away. One of the reasons I've shied away from doing any type of message board, but I think a lot of context is lost in text when people type something on a computer, they're not really feeling like they're interacting with a human being on the other end. And uh, the other human being is not fully understanding what they might mean uh, by the things that they type out on the computer. So I think audio is a superior form of communication online. So I was trying to figure out a way to create a voice forum where you'd have something similar to like Trapper Man, but instead of text, it would just be people clicking on a thread and recording uh, an audio clip, what they wanted to say, and then posting it. And then someone else would respond and record a short audio clip of what they want to say. And you could go on and just listen to people talking instead of uh, reading the, the what they write down or type in their computer. So I, I think it would be really awesome to be able to do that, not not to necessarily replace text, but be kind of a, an enhancement 
to the text form of communication and maybe you could even have both where someone would have the option of either typing or recording audio. However, I looked and looked and looked for the past year or so and I haven't been able to find any uh, company or software that is doing providing the ability to do that um, in the format that that I think would be useful for us. So I've just kind of waited and been, I was a little frustrated with that first and then I, I moved on to other things until just recently I stumbled upon this new uh, plugin, this new app that allows you to record audio comments on a website or a blog. So I, I've downloaded this, I've installed it on trappingtoday.com and we're going to try it out. So I'm just going to mention it in this week's episode so that if you're interested, you can go on to trappingtoday.com. You can click on a page and I actually I have to get things set up to where you can comment on all the pages again because I turned that off a while back. But uh, you, you should be able, once I get this fixed, to click on any page at trappingtoday.com, scroll down to the bottom of the post and see uh, the comments section. And you can either add a text comment or you can click on the microphone and you got to just quickly give the thing permission to use your computer's microphone to record and you can record an audio clip. Right now you can do up to 30 seconds long. And uh, I think I can I can get this set up to where we can do a, a, as much as a minute. But we'll see if people actually end up using this or not. So um, I think it would be pretty awesome if a uh, some of you guys would come on and, and provide some quick little audio comments on, on some of the topics there on trappingtoday.com and see if, or even just the podcast episode. Let's say you click on this, uh, the, the page for this podcast episode and just go down and comment on feedback, you know, provide a little feedback on what you thought about the episode. Uh, so that I think that'd be cool because I've been thinking, trying to find better ways to hear more from the Trapping Today community. And it's, uh, you know, not all of you guys want to come on a podcast and do a podcast interview. And uh, there's not enough time in the world to, to have everybody on either. And not everybody has half hour or an hour worth of things to talk about in trapping. But we all have our opinions and our thoughts and things to add uh, or comment on uh, that we can easily do in a, a short audio clip. So let's let's see if we can try it out. Um, I'll put it up there. I'll see if there's any response. If I don't get anything from you, I'm going to start doing some things to try to motivate you to, to start using it because, and I know it's not for everybody. A lot of people are going to be resistant to recording their voice, which is fine. But for the people who uh, would find this useful, I'd love to, to have you try it out and see if we can uh, sort of get get some activity on that and and see how it goes so with that guys we will get into the episode with jeff trainer from fur bear conservation we talk about how he started his blog initially way back in the day a little bit on the new hampshire bobcat trapping uh, debate uh, his shift to fur bear conservation some of the articles that he has written on fur bear conservation and plans for the future and all that stuff so let's get into it um, I'm curious why you started the Live Free to Trap blog originally and how that's changed and, and why things morphed. Sure. So, so it all, it's ironic that we're going from cats right into that because, um, the Live Free and Trap 
website, which is a play on the state motto for your listeners that don't know it's yes. live free or die, is uh, the state motto. Probably so, the greatest uh, state motto out there. <laughs> exactly. I, hey, I'm a fan, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a glutton for originality, so I just went with live free and trap, um, mainly because um, it was never meant to be much. Um, it, was, it was right right as the Bobcat season proposal debates were heating up back in 2013. Um, it was the, just the beginning of, of real uh, social media influence, particularly Facebook. I don't even think Twitter was really around yet. Um, and it was right around that time where Facebook, I don't know how far back you go with social media, but Facebook originally was just for college folks. I was, uh, on yeah, Facebook I was, uh, back, I was a junior I was. in college when we, when it started. There you go. It was essentially so you, a dating service for us college. Exactly. Kids. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's pretty much what it, it was to, it was to spy on people that went to, you know, friends from high school that went to better colleges than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, at that time, you know, it was control, it was a controlled environment because the quality of people that were allowed in uh, was, was vetted and limited. Um, and then Facebook, you know, kind of uh, turned around and, and opened it up to the public and it just opened the floodgate. Everyone suddenly was on Facebook and then um, everybody had an opinion on Facebook. And that's <laughs> that was really where the downward spiral came. But um, the Bobcat season uh, down here uh, was kind of boiling up heavily. The animal rights opposition, which was national, um, they, we had national uh, investment from the anti-hunting, anti-trapping establishment here in the Northeast when word got out that the department was proposing a bobcat season. Um, and I was just seeing a lot online, a lot of comments, a lot of statements. And the trappers down here, trappers being trappers, not to pigeonhole or stereotype, but um, there weren't a lot of trappers on social media. So people weren't seeing what was happening or what was being said. And what I was seeing for comments from people who were fairly, you know, uh, well-spoken, uh, led me to, I said, you know, the, you guys don't realize what's coming. We're, we're going to lose the season. You know, the, 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 the public opinion is not there. We need to do some education. We need to do some outreach. Well, everyone discounted social media and the internet as just useless. This is, you know, the fish and game department will handle it. And it just turned into a public opinion circus down here. Uh, when we tried to propose a bobcat season. And when I say we, I mean our, our fish and game department. So the Live Free and Trap website was born out of that um, because I felt uh, that I needed a place to hold my musings and my talking points and my arguments uh, against some of that commentary um, because it, it, it spiraled quickly from being a debate about trapping and hunting bobcats to a debate about trapping. Yeah. It spiraled quickly. <laughs> and and that, as, as a lot of legislation usually does. So um, I just kind of said, you know, I need to do something. I need some place where I can have an outlet to vent my frustrations. Regardless my of whether you points. change anybody's opinion on things. Exactly. I'll, I'll admit in my early days, um, I was very crass <laughs> with my commentary <laughs> and um, a couple of the local uh, activist folks uh, definitely seized, <laughs> capitalized on that um, and have, have still uh, not allowed me uh, to live that down, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, but 
when it was live free and trap, it was basically just developing arguments and, and talking points. And, you know, it was mentioned that, uh, the Bobcat season would do this. Well, I'm here to tell you that it won't, it'll do this. And it was a lot of that. Yeah. And it kind of just blossomed. People started paying attention to it. You had more people getting on social media, uh, which was where my focal point really was. I had the website, but my primary focus was plugging it into social media um, and using social media as the vector uh, for dis- for producing, you know, promoting a lot of this stuff. And then um, something happened, you know, something clicked and my writing start- started changing from just being argumentative with animal rights people to, well, here's a scientific study on why this works or here's uh, you know, they just developed a new uh, study on skunk morphology or something. Um, and I started, you know, it started becoming more of amusings um, and, and, and things that were not necessarily uh, polarizing, but related more to the biology, which is where I was at, really. I mean, I, you know, I was a trapper and I was trying to fight to promote trapping, but I did a very poor job of diversifying. Um, and I, what I ended up doing with Live Free a Trap was pigeonholing myself as just a, an angry trapper that, you know, was picking, picking fights with animal rights activists. And, you know, you, you reach a point um, where, you know, if you're going to wrestle with the pigs, you're going to get muddy. Uh, that's you know? one of my, that and, is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite <laughs> sayings. You, you, you wrestle with the pig, you're both going to get dirty and the pig's going to like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that literally, uh, Learn from my mistakes. That is exactly what happened. I let myself uh, get down to an emotional level and I got the arguments with these people and, um, you know, it just became ramblings. And but at the same time, you know, it was it was growing and I was getting a bigger audience and my audience was. Where trapping and trappers are talking about trapping and trappers, um, there wasn't a lot of trappers talking about the biology aspect or the wildlife management aspect or the conservation aspect. I, I liken it to like, kind of like what fur takers of America is doing now. They're, they're very heavy on the education. They're very edu- heavy on the conservation. Uh, and that's really where I started to go. Um, and it started to become more regional. I wasn't just New Hampshire anymore. Yep. Um, I was getting biologists. I mean, I was getting emails from biologists on the West coast. I was getting emails from biologists and wildlife management professionals and agencies in Canada. It just started to kind of snowball. Uh, and then it really took off. Um, I wrote an, an article uh, called Bash Those Lowly Trappers uh, at Your Own Peril. And I just basically talked about a lot of the stuff that we just talked about in, in, right now. And um, a few trapper magazines, you know, club association magazines wanted to pick it up. And then uh, the Ontario Fur Managers Council grabbed hold of it. They printed it. I believe Alaska Trappers printed it uh, in their magazine. Um, a few other states picked it up. Um, and it just, that one article, uh, it was just an explosion. Next thing you know, I've got Truth About Fur, which is a, uh, a blog entity up in uh, Canada. Uh, started putting my stuff out pretty heavily. I started writing for them. I actually did a few articles for them. Um, and the biologists and stuff started to catch on more and more. And the more conversations I had with folks, the more it was, you know, stop worrying about what the activist folks are, are doing and, and start focusing more so on your interests, which is fur bears. Yep. 
And I said, you know something, you're right. I've just had enough. It got dark, you know, arguing with the people online just got really dark and gross. Um, so I, I shied away from it and I, I said, you know what, I'm going to delete the site. And then I said, well, I've got quite a, quite a mass of followers, especially on the Facebook page. I had, I think at that time I had like 2,500, uh, followers on that page. And I, I said, you know, I can't just give up the audience. So, um, I started harvesting content, um, from higher, I won't say higher sources, I guess you could say. And by higher, I mean, uh, more of an educated aspect, the biology, um, and, and resource management crowd. Um, and it became less about me writing rants. So right around 2015, 2016, right in there in a transition period, um, I decided to dissolve live free of trap. And we came out with the fur bear conservation project, uh, which is basically what it is now, uh, which is, I'm still not a hundred percent sure what it is <laughs> to be honest with you. It's a, it's a co-op. It's a project. I have contributors that email me stuff and I, and I produce it and, and put it out there in articles. Um, my stuff is more geared towards a resource now than, uh, than it is more so about just strictly trapping. You know, I've got best management practices up in there. I've got, uh, some other, you know, study, uh, type stuff, scholarly type stuff for trappers to reference. I mean, it's definitely still uh, trapping centric or trapping centralized, but where I think a lot of your trapping content websites and blogs and podcasts and things, it's all geared towards the technical aspect of trapping. It's a camaraderie. What I'm doing is more, it's more of a resource type of situation where we're, we're kind of getting more in depth on the psychological aspects of managing resources in 2020, or in this case now, 2021, 21st century, if you will. Um, and it's more geared towards the education yeah. uh, side of things, as opposed to you want to learn how to trap muskrats. There's a thousand places um, you can go to learn how to tra- trap muskrats. Uh, your, you know, your site is awesome for, for a lot of that resource stuff for trappers. Whereas my musings and my interests kind of is more on the, on the management, the resource management side of things, the state agencies, the, the, you know, we're going to radio collar fishers to find out what they're eating in Manitoba or something, you know, I'm I'm pulling that out of thin air, but that's where I'm going. You write that with a blending of a trapper's perspective and never forget to mention that, the role that trappers play and the role that sustainable harvest plays in this whole conservation uh, effort. Well, and I think that's the important aspect that the public, whether you're for trapping against trapping or indifferent, I think that is something that is, was, it's better now, but was for many years lacking. You had people talking, you had trappers talking trapping and, and fighting to keep trapping as a heritage and then you had biologists talking about managing fur bears. Um, and there wasn't really a lot out there because your state agencies, they're, let's face it, it's a government agency. They're limited on what they can say. They, exactly. They'll come out and say, yes, exactly. trappers help us. But, but they, they can't, can't come pro- out and actively say, promote trapping like you can. Exactly. And they can't, they can't cuss like I can. 
That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah. it's uh, I can say what I want. I'm not I'm not beholden to anyone. Yeah. Uh, so I can say what needs to be said, and I can do it uh, with an educational and science backed uh, palette, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of see it as uh, as opposed to the previous rendition. Uh, where you were maybe trying to preserve trapping uh, on a local issue in New Hampshire, right now, um, this this fur bear conservation to me is more of a what is going to be important to lay the foundation to preserve trapping ten, twenty, thirty years from now. Yes, I would agree with that. Yep, definitely. How, how much? How much of this is uh, Jeff Trainer? content and how much of it is sourced from other places i would probably say um i would probably say 85 percent is, is probably me or me digging yeah um and then and then the other you know 15 percent or so is is either people have thrown me bones or they've said i, I think a lot of people they, they lay out the breadcrumbs for me and then i gotta go yeah i go i go track down the breadcrumbs and, and i fall down a rabbit hole i mean you uh, you gave me a plug um, for the Martin and Fisher, yes, uh, a Martin and Fisher study that was being done, and that was just you want to talk about a rabbit hole. That started <laughs> off as me just looking for an argument as to um, why Fisher are are an integral species here in the Northeast, and I ended up falling down into this whole rabbit hole um, of of studies and, and things that they were doing, you know, up north. So, um, it, it, I would say it's eighty five percent. Still me um, with with the other 15 percent is definitely bones that get thrown my way or people will say, here's this or or uh, I'll, in some cases, I've had people actually write. I, I encourage people that have um, have a gift for quality because I want quality content on the yeah. site. I mean, I obviously don't want I, I no longer am interested in the ranting and raving. And um, so I, I want people that are well spoken or, you know, that I have to do minimal editing with. But um, I have had a few, uh, several guest writers on, and I have several, like I said, contributors, if you will, that hang out behind the scenes for the most part and, and kick me some information for me to produce. Um, but I will say that um, recently just COVID-19 um, and some, some personal changes in my life um, the wildlife control industry is just busier than it's ever been. And uh, my baby, the of fur bear conservation, just I, I cannot tend to it the way I have for many years. So I know the um, feeling. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. And I uh, so I I'm looking, you know, I've, I've searched over this past year. You'll you'll notice that the content has kind of slowed over the last year or so. And, uh, I am in talks with several people to see if I can get some more active contributors to kind of keep it going. Cause the one thing I don't want to do is sell it out, uh, plug it up with, with all kinds of ads and, 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 and junk just to try and, and get it to create some revenue. I think, um, what we, what, what I've produced with the fur bear conservation project site and its resources, um, it has the potential to continue being a resource if it's cared for properly. And uh, it's just a matter of finding the right people to kind of help me. Uh, I'll never, I'll never throw in the towel, so to speak, or, or, yeah, or it just might lay into the shadows. 
Yeah. 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 And and it may be a a situation where it's just gotten to be such a big monster um, that um, I bring some, a team on something like, you know, you look at what Ranella has with meat eater or something like that, where there's, he's got a whole crew of, you, you know, got editors or whatever. You got to pay for it, though. That's the challenge that I, that I've seen. Right. So, so uh, you have the donate the donate option there on the site. Uh, are there any other ways that you've thought about uh, raising money to kind of further the effort? Many, <laughs> many, <laughs> uh, with none of them actually being put into fruition. Because again, I'm yeah. my my attention has shifted. So. Um, I obviously ads and click traffic was a, was a big one here when you're talking from a marketing standpoint, like you have, you have sponsors and, and, and stuff like that. And that's the stuff that you need to kind of keep things alive. Um, and me, I just have not uh, pursued that Avenue and that's a double-edged sword, right? Because it's, once you yeah, get sponsors, it, now you're expected to create content. Right. And, you know? and it does change the site. You know, if you look at my site compared to this site, um, it, and well, you take the far extreme. Look at any news site, and it's exactly. just exactly it, it's completely bloated with ads. And the experience you go on to furbearconservation dot com, and it's like it's a uh, it's totally a, a totally different experience. It's all just straight content, and and all within it's all focused content on wildlife management, biology, um, and fur bear stuff going on. And the secret there is that 99% of what you see and read um, is like the wee hours of like 9 p.m. to like 2 a.m. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's when you got to feed it. You know, I mean, you're, you're doing the same thing and yours, you know, you're you are definitely uh, very well established. Uh, Trappingtoday.com is an, is an incredible phenom, especially in the in like the Google search rankings and stuff. So, I mean, you know, you it's. You got to feed that baby. You got to feed it and care for it. And uh, yeah, you know, noti- you definitely notice when you stop for sure. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, at the same time, you you have to. It, it, we're humans. We have to. It's great to do things for charity, but you can only put so much of your effort to that in that direction, and you do have to feed your family as well. So if if you if you have to choose between, um, you know furthering this effort and doing an extra job to put food on the table it it uh it's a difficult choice but that yeah that's a reality of life. and it's you know and it's and, and to be honest with you this was never um it started off as just a gag live free and trap and it and it snowballed people enjoyed what i had and i enjoy writing i really do uh enjoy diving into these deep deep crevasses of of resource management and fur bears um and and people are always very very thankful of that you know people are always quick to to reach out to me and say man the site's awesome really appreciate everything you do but in the same regard it it was never intended to be the Jeff Trainer show and if i could pamper it for this long to get it to a point where it becomes a co- you know a full blown co-op because again it is kind of a Somewhat of a co-op now, a faux co-op. Is, this a, is it a 501c3? No, no. So that's the thing is that that's, that's something that I am toying with now is moving it to the next level as, you know, to join the ranks of something like a. I don't know if I'll ever get to the point of like a NTA or FTA or something like that. Um, 
but perhaps get it to a point where it where it is more of a I don't know, some kind of like weird hybrid between like the wildlife society and like sportsman's alliance, <laughs> you know, like we could, we could get something there, you know, somewhere in there. Um, it's all, all those cards are on the table uh, for, for this, this little, this little side project of mine is the, the possibilities are endless and, and I don't, I don't see it dying anytime soon. Uh, certainly perhaps some quiet time and some lulls here and there, but we, we ain't going anywhere anytime soon. And and uh, you have several articles that have been picked up in places. Do you do you kind of promote that and send it out, or do people generally just find stuff on your site and ask you to reprint it? The latter. Yeah. Usually, usually people are finding it. I don't. I mean, again, it's one of those things where I just don't. Um, I don't have the time to to go out and and try to peddle it. And that's kind of an ugly word, but try to promote it. Um, you know, I, I don't have that kind of time. So pretty much 99% um, of, of what's repurposed or reprinted is, is people approaching me. And I, you know, I have it right there on, on one page of the site somewhere where it says, you know, as long as you're giving me credit for, for my, my work and, uh, and you're routing it back to me for some, some click traffic. Um, I, I'm usually not, uh, not apprehensive about uh, people wanting to repurpose uh, or 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 refunnel it on their on their pages, um, yeah. particularly lately with especially with um, Bear Education, which is an arm of FTA. Um, Dave Hastings and I have, have talked extensively, especially with legislation and things in the last few couple of years, and uh, and I'm very appreciative of them. They've given links. Um, I've got a ton of kickback from you. From your page you know um yeah. you've got a link there on your page and that's uh, i'll tell you that's probably a, a large chunk of my traffic coming back so people are people trappers it's it's the market i'm looking for it's the audience i'm looking for and um and if we can all work cohesively for communication uh for the betterment of regulated trapping and for better resource management uh, hey i'm in 100 <laughs> percent I, I want to talk about a couple of these articles because uh, this is some really neat stuff. And like you said, it's 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 trapping related, but it's not the how to trap. It's some of the cool things that that we may or may not know about fur bears. Uh, mm. So I want to I, I read this article of yours on on the fox, uh, the red fox mm-hmm. in North America. What can you I mean, does that something that you just kind of discovered and decided to write about? <laughs> So this this article was supposed to be like a four paragraph blog post just to get some click traffic. It was all about how the red fox is, you know, we have two species of, of fox up here in the northeast. We have the, the gray fox, uh, which is, you know, predominantly known as the native. And then we have the red fox, which is predominantly known as being imported from Europe uh, by settlers uh, who, frankly, were unhappy with the fact that Gray foxes can climb trees. The hounds can't climb trees. So but they, a lot of they us, brought the a, red fox. A lot of us didn't know that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the gray fox is adapted to uh, to climbing trees, and um, the when the English came over, uh, they 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 wanted something that was a little more sporting, so they brought red foxes with them for the hounds. That's that's how the tale goes. Yeah. Um, so I was just doing an article on that, and again, you fall into these rabbit holes. 
And then you come to find out that we've got old world versus new world red foxes. And then there's subspecies of the subspecies of the red fox. And then the subspecies of the subspecies has subspecies. And I mean, you can see it when I go right through. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an extensive um, article. And even that I had to, I had to cut, I had to cut it short. I mean, I, there was just so much. And the fascinating thing about that is that even all of the information I fell into, if you scroll down into the comments section, you'll still have wildlife management folks or biologists or, or others jumping in and arguing yeah. that, well, this one's native, this one's not native, this is a sub-sub of the California, the California red fox is different from the, you know, West Coast red fox, and it just, so, the, the you know, I don't know if it's necessarily, basically, the determination I made with that article was that it's not settled science on what kind exactly of red fox we have uh, in the Northeast, or red foxes, I should be, you know, saying plural. Yeah. Um, there's just so many so many subspecies that it's what i found was that it wasn't as simple as saying well the the, the red fox was imported yeah. that's that's not necessarily uh, a fully true statement and that's hey that's something i didn't know before so um that's uh, the, that article is a, a primary example of these strange little uh strange little rabbit holes that i fall down and that's where the passion for the writing comes from is is diving deep into that strange stuff so out west in the mountains, those red foxes potentially could be the native, uh, sort of a, or maybe a blend of the native and. According to some of the studies, yeah. According to some of the studies, there was a, there was a uh, a strain of red fox that was present somewhere in the. I can't remember if it was uh, if it was up in like the. Um, Canada West Coast area, or if it was down through the Sierra Nevada, you know Sierra area there, but um, there was a species of red fox that I found out that was allegedly, but according to some uh, canid specialists, was a was a native fox. Yeah, when I was living out west, there was some research going on with red fox genetics, and someone was high up in the alpine, in the mountains above tree line, trying to collect DNA from red fox. I'm like, what the heck are they doing? And well, there you mm. go. <laughs> and what was fascinating too? I mean, I have to be careful because um, when you're when you're writing blogs for yourself, um, you got to be careful of content that you're taking. So um, when you when you look at the different subspecies of red fox, they all look different. Some of them got white patches that come right up under the chin. Others, uh, the white patch stops down at the at the belly. Uh, some of them have more tufts of fur in the face. They're they're more full in the face versus being skinnier. Um, when you line all of these subspecies up, you're like, ah, oh, that ex you know that explains why when I saw a picture of this red fox, my mind said it didn't quite look right, and that's because it genetics or whatever it may be, it it was a different subspecies of red fox. You you think when you do a quick search or when you see in a picture in a magazine, you think a red fox is a red fox or red fox. Wow, not not so, and and I couldn't really uh, display it on the website because you know a lot of those pictures are privately owned, and you know I'm not going to just chase down trying to secure permission for every single one of those species. But you go searching some of the species I list in that article, and you line all these pictures up, and you're going, wow, yeah, they are strange, different. You know, the the northern Alaskan fox looks different from the Sierra Nevada fox. Yeah. So um, it's it's just fascinating, absolutely fascinating the 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 animal world that we that lies beyond our fingertips. 
do you have any others that stand out articles you wrote that that where you learned something you didn't expect um definitely uh the the one that you referenced the two uh weasel like creatures vying for forest turf in the northeast um it was very fascinating to to dive deeper into the relationship between fisher and martin um we all we all know what we know from pursuing them uh, in the field. You know, you get a, a basic understanding. There probably isn't too, too much in there that's shocking to the trapper. Um, but uh, just to understand those relationships, um, I found fascinating. Um, and then where I, where I really have found a niche is um, in the Eastern Coyote. <laughs> um, I have I have a couple of articles up, and that became what I what I really became known for, especially uh, from my friends on the West Coast who are constantly arguing with um, some of the uh, coexistence, if you will, uh, crowds out 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 yeah. on the West Coast. Um, just just let them be. The DNA, yeah, they'll, exactly. They you know <laughs> they'll manage themselves. Yeah. Responsive reproduction, they call it. Um, but uh, but the the things that I have found out the the the, the biological and, and and characteristics of the eastern coyote that I have uh, developed and dug up just from arguing why we should hunt coyotes in a regulated sense, um, just that alone uh, I find absolutely fascinating. I've got a couple of articles up there, and then I also have in my uh, in my issues section I dive deeper into predator management, um, which is really uh, really been a focal point, um, for a lot of my research and writing and musings has been, uh, how we should, uh, be managing predators, uh, because there's a huge debate. It's probably one of the biggest polarizing topics of conservation today is how we should manage our predators. And it's fascinating because it doesn't stop with just, well, they're wrong and, and I'm right we should hunt coyotes. There's a whole nother, you've got the folks that don't think, a, you know, a coyote should be allowed to eat toddlers if it wanted to. And then on the far other end of the spectrum, you've got people that are like that dirty, nasty thing has no business here. Wipe them all off the face of the planet and trying to weed through, um, the, both the psychology of that and the biology of that, um, is just been, that has been what a trip. Uh, that's been for me has been fascinating is, is, is going deeper into the, the management of predators such as uh, bears and, and coyotes. Yeah. And I, I mean, the fact is we, uh, they, if we, if we want to use prey, if we want to hunt deer and small game birds, if we want to have that resource and we want those populations to be healthy, we have to do something with predator management. Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's the thing is that I don't, it always amazes me when people turn to me and say, you do not need to hunt or trap anything. Nature will take care of itself. It always does. It sure does. Yep. And I just, I look at them and I say, <laughs> yes, yes, it does. And it's, and it's not doing any of the resources, including the coyote, any favors. Um, I, I'm not a coyote hater. I, I, I think that uh, while they may not be a quote-unquote native species to the Northeast, uh, they are now, and they're not going away. Um, I find them to be incredibly fascinating from a uh, urban control standpoint just because of how well they have adapted. I mean, I, I compare them, um, you know, on, a, on an adaptability level, I compare them with Norway rats. And it's just fascinating with how they have adapted 
ancient living with humans. They're, they're almost a commensal species now. And, um, you know, I, I, at the same time, people say you don't need to hunt or trap coyotes in any capacity. Um, and you, all I have to do is just say, look at, look at California, look at Southern California, look at the daily. And I mean, almost daily, uh, news headlines that come out another person bit by a coyote in Los Angeles, another, you know, a child being bit, you know, or Chicago, look at the headaches that they're dealing with in Chicago. And these are places where coyotes aren't being hunted. So your argument that coyotes don't need to be hunted, they'll take care of themselves is, is null and void because the places where we aren't hunting and managing coyotes is the places where they are threatening public safety the most. Yeah. So, I mean, you're seeing a predator and it's not at the fault of the coyote. I think that a lot of people, on the anti-hunting predator side, will sit there and say, "Well, you're just demonizing the predator. You know, they they have to eat. They're a they're an animal just like any other animal." And some yes, people have I demonized them. I mean, right? A lot of a lot of the rural West, coyote is a bad word, and you see them hanging from fences. Dead coyotes been shot right. hanging there. You know, I mean, it it is an an extreme, um, and maybe it's just playing. Uh, uh, alongside the other extreme and trying to kind of counterbalance everything. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. This, this, uh, there is some place in the middle that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I take my trap, I'll take my trapper hat right off for a second and put on my common sense, you know, just a, a normal citizen looking at an animal behavior, you know, just as much as, well, we shouldn't demonize the coyote because, you know, it's just doing what a coyote does. Well, on the other hand, on the other side of that coin is dog will hunt. Yep. <laughs> it's gonna, you know, it doesn't know the difference between a, a, a fawn and a, a toddler, <laughs> you know, and you, yeah, or a sheep. I mean, it's the bottom line is that a dog will hunt and, and it's, you reach a point where you have to say it's us or them. And that's not, and it doesn't have make to be sure all or nothing either. That's what, that is the most important part because the people who are against trapping and against a lot of the things I say are the first to pigeonhole me as a coyote hater because I say we have to manage coyotes. <laughs> and it, it's, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's the fact that the reality is that um, we are humans. We are at, we enjoy our position at the top of the food chain now, but as nature goes, uh, that position can be taken away at any time. And we got to manage, you know, you got to manage for, for, for not only ourselves and public safety, but let's just look at the, look at the, um, the health of the, of the herd, if you will. I mean, coyotes that are, are managed, um, you know, you, you have healthier individuals that aren't necessarily transmitting diseases and things as badly as those that are in the thick of it and desperate and, you know, food shortages, food resources are running low. Although I don't know if, uh, I don't know if coyotes will ever deplete a food source since they literally eat everything, <laughs> which, which was another, which was another article I wrote, the sharks of suburbia, uh, the coyote. I mean, the things that they have found in the stomachs of Southern California coyotes would just amaze you, yeah. you know? It reminds me of like when I was a kid and my father was watching a documentary on sharks and they found like a full suit of aluminum armor and a shark's stomach or something. And here they're finding like condoms and crazy other stuff inside the inside the stomachs of coyotes. I mean, 
or it wasn't condoms. It was, uh, I think it was rubber gloves. But there was a bunch of weird but stuff. Yeah. I remember. Weird, weird things yeah. that shouldn't be in there. Fascinating stuff. Jeff is a sharp guy. If you want to read some of the stuff that he's written, go to furbearconservation.com and you can sign up for the email list there and you can uh, browse through a bunch of the old articles. And like Jeff mentioned, you know, he, he may not be cranking them out as much as before, but there's so much stuff on that website from uh, the past that he's written that you can get caught up on and lots of great information. Now, time for the Cots Brothers message of the week. Cots Bros are in the market for glands, skunk essence, and beaver caster. Check their website out, cotsbros.com, and click on the blog. You can see the, what they're buying, 80 bucks a pound for beaver caster, $18 an ounce for pure quill skunk essence, and they're, they're all filled up with coyote glands, but they are buying red fox, bobcat, gray fox, badger, otter, mink, and muskrat glands. So check them out, cotsbros.com, and don't forget to sign up for that Cots Brothers newsletter. Uh, you will f- get email updates on anything that they put out there. And uh, it's been a little while since the last update, but just a day or two ago, I received a Cotsboro's update, so I'm going to read it to you here. If you're signed up for the newsletter, you already got this, but if you're not, here's what you're missing out on. A little update from Kyle. He says, over the years, trapping supply sales have always been strongly connected to fur markets. During 2020, that all changed. In light of subpar fur markets, 2020 was a banner year for supply sales. As in many industries across the globe, there are issues with inventory, availability of raw materials, and limited inventory. I've never seen this level of instability regarding inventory in my 26 years in the trapping supply business. The unfortunate reality is many prices will be increasing this year. We'll start updating some pricing on our website April 1st. TS85s and Cots Brothers lures and baits will be increasing. I've always tried to absorb rising costs and keep our retail prices stable, but due to increased costs of raw materials, I have no choice but to raise retail. The bigger issue is availability. I would not wait to order trapping supplies this year. Buy what you need before summer. As once conventions start up and the fall rush hits, I suspect various items will be out of stock. So that's just a a quick little heads up. Um, If you were thinking about getting some TS-85s or getting some Cotsboro's lure and bait, I would get it now. Get it soon because prices are going up. Maybe you can catch it before the price increase. Um, and, and there are going to be delays with certain things. I think the TSs are, are going to be a few weeks out. Um, to they're, they're having a hard time keep, keeping those in stock along with a lot of other items. But, yeah, take advantage of that now because I agree with Kyle. I don't see it getting any easier to, to get stuff, and I don't see things getting any cheaper. I think we're going to see a lot of upward adjustments and a lot of price inflation on a lot of items this coming next year or two. So with that, guys, um, thank you for listening in. Always great to have you. We got lots more coming here in the next few weeks, uh, all kinds of stuff lined up. So uh, go to trappingtodaystore.com, check out my latest items. Remember to get on trappingtoday.com and and uh, maybe click on this podcast episode and do a little comment. Put a little audio comment up there. Let's hear from you. Let's hear your voice and hear uh a little bit of feedback on what you thought of the episode with Jeff Trainer, and uh, yeah, till next time, guys. 